The church worker and her children came to open and prepare the church reception hall for the day's functions, turning on the coffee pot and laying out the nice tablecloths. But before the guests of the day were to arrive, the mother locked the children's church with the little ones inside and instructions not to come out. If they heard violence, keep each other safe. Welcome to True Crime 49. The funeral potlatch is one of the older traditions in many indigenous tribes. The word potlatch means to give, which is why the family, community, and even neighboring people would bring their best to honor the dead. While traditional potlatches lasted for days, this one would be a few hours in a strip mall church reception hall. The sparse table, a glaring indication of the dishonor of the deceased. The church worker quietly wondered if there would be divine punishment for allowing a place of mourning. In the olden days, there was a traffic light at the Wasilla Junction. A carpenter was driving with his family, wife, toddler, daughter, his baby son. It was a cold, clear winter, bright Saturday morning, the perfect environment to catch a glimpse of the endemic coffee drinkers. Up ahead, a small car is trying to pull out of a side road. His tires are slicing wildly at only wet ice. He's parked in the glassy road now, and out of his window, it is uphill. Out of his passenger side, it is downhill. A semi is coming uphill, but he's pretty far away, and farther back still is the carpenter and his family. A new car comes over the hill. The carpenter's wife looks up like the hunter. The car starts to slide and break and ballsily slides just past the man's car that's hogging the road, the rubber tires drifting on the glazed ice. The windows were all fogged up from breathing so hard. You could swear you could hear the people in the car give out a yeah when they cleared the bumper. The carpenter's wife's hands are flailing, and she's screaming and frantically pleading for her husband to help them as the car slips sideways and goes driver's door in to the grill of the big rig. The carpenter is running past the hissing trailer and runs headlong through the broken opening of the passenger window of the wrecked car. The glass was everywhere, laying still in irregular blocks, with the fog of their breath still on them in wet, silver velvet. Looking past the woman who was still, Good man, how do you fare? The outer reaches of the car are partially undisturbed. The secondary damage of the car is basically the rest of the car. In the section of the damage where the primary colors all converge and increase in destruction on and almost halfway through the driver's head. The carpenter is looking at a family who was just like his Everything is ended. He is surprised as his breath exhales after what seemed like forever and a white fog goes into the car, hovering over them, and he pulls his head from out of the looking glass and never peered in again. He's walking back past the big trailer. To this day, he doesn't like to turn up towards Wasilla. There was a clean, beautifully arched interchange placed on the wetlands now 
No need for a dangerous icy red light anymore. The concrete multi-lane interchange is a three-way, Anchorage, Wasilla, and lastly Palmer. The lanes are mostly raised for moose to slop and pull their food, spending winter or summer under the rattling whoosh of the highway above. A small car, a truck, a snowmobile trailer, thousands of cars a day. The moose looks up to the concrete structure as something unique. Sirens far off, a veteran state trooper from the olden days, responding to a call where a rookie is following a suburban clocking over a hundred miles now. If you know your history right, true crime buffs, as he rounded the arch to see if he had helped with him in his rearview mirror, there was nothing. Just the black, black, undisturbed surface of Matanuska Lake. McLaughlin Youth Center, where Ryan Andrews spent time in his youth, is a multi-purpose juvenile detention, rehabilitation, and school for minors awaiting trial. It is a primary placement alternative for teens who have committed serious delinquent offenses and when residential treatment is required. In 1995, within months of turning 18, Andrews would threaten two children with a gun, becoming a felon and serving one and a half years in jail. A few months after his release, he was found with a concealed gravity knife violating his probation. Hans Roll, supervisor for this shift. He's gathering as much information he can while he's driving, delegating what he can. The rookie has just confirmed back. He's pulling off the chase. Let our fingers do the walking. Directing towards the address listed on the suburban's plates, 24-year-old Ryan Andrews. Mile 35.5 Parks Highway, Best View RV and Motorhome Park. When the call came in for a domestic on the roadside, no shit. If you spent rent on beer, you're broke down on the road with no heater. Emotions can slip away from you in an argument. When Spitzer first responded, the ambulance had beat him there. And the Suburban had circled back and was watching the ambulance and the EMTs periodically looking from the scraped up Amy to the looming Suburban. When Spitzer pulled up, the Suburban tore away. Hans had been mobilizing from the word go. He needed to get there before something gets out of hand. The girlfriend says it's real this time. He's always said he's going to kill them. She looks the part. The rookie is radioing his supervisor what it looks like at the bottom of the sea. And his supervisor is clasping an old engine block and is rocketing into the depths like a silent and very concerned meteor. The National Domestic Violence Hotline reports that an average woman will leave her abuser seven times before she leaves for good. 24-year-old Amy had been with Ryan long enough to know about the gun, the knife, and his violence. Amy would recall abusive incidents throughout their relationship, with the saving grace that as a felon, it was illegal for Andrews to own a firearm. On May 26, 1999, Andrews crossed a line with Amy when he physically assaulted her, threatening to kill her and their infant daughter. Terrified, Amy went to the police to file a report. They arrested Andrews and granted Amy a temporary restraining order. 
Andrews was released on third-party bail and undoubtedly back to terrorize Amy and their infant. Roll is pulling up now and chooses the next best tactical position allowed amongst the double Y. Officer Tarbox had radioed in that he'd seen the man, Ryan Andrews, pull up and hurriedly carry the two babies inside and close the door. He was instructed to stand by and wait for the superior. They were the quietest young couple anyone could remember meeting. They always stuck to themselves. The world is frozen. There were no barbecues in this yard that summer. There were no birthday parties for the babies. The yard, this fence, seemed just as cold and desolate as it does now in November. Deeper winter still to go. On November 24, 2001, the weekend after Thanksgiving, Amy was pushed or jumped out of a moving vehicle on the highway with her four-year-old daughter and three-year-old son captive to Andrews inside. Roll was out of his car and hidden out of sight, and he was going to go in and over this fence, and he's not seeing any dogs. The coffee pot back at the cob shop was just brewing fresh as he ran out the door. He runs up towards the front of the trailer with his service pistol drawn. Officer Tarbuck sees him go just out of sight, then hears him fire one shot. When your face is looking down towards the ground, it's easy to see what's below you. But what's normally in front of you, your eye must strain for it over there. It is just out of reach, and your eye stretches and searches for a vantage point on the tail of a slippery eel while the screen in your mind is stretched, inaccurate, obscured, and teary-edged. Something slipped or hung up going over the fence. A momentary delay. We're all getting older. Ryan Andrews opening the door and coming out must have looked like colored sheets blowing on the line at the edge of his mind's eye. One time, a while back, he thought he was in danger. He had a collection of thoughts at that time in his mind. The pieces you grab when the landslide gets everything else. His daughter on the soccer field, grass smudges, some hairs stuck to her temples in sweat, but others wisping in the wind, in the sunlight. Off the edge of Officer Roll's vision, a shape appears out of the teary, smeared colors, and it comes close enough to let the eyes start to do their stuff. There's a flood of faces and moments worth saving from the landslide. It's moving. It's defined. It's big enough to be a hatchet. No fucking way. It's a huge pistol. He can see clearly now. And he is shot. Catastrophically. Headshot. Still balanced. On the chain link fence. Officer Tarbox runs around to support Roll. sees him lying on the ground, slipped down from the fence. The neighbor heard. She heard someone yell like they were hurt. Officer Tarbox runs to see Roll and retreats. Officer down. Doesn't do him justice. It's too much. This could drive me to drinking. 
from inside the trailer, two large bangs go off. And then a third. Amy's daughter, age four, and son, age three, were fatally shot with a desert eagle by their father, who turned the weapon on himself. Trooper Hans Roll, a 17-year veteran, husband and father of four, arrived moments before and was shot. Domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner. To find out more, visit thehotline.org. Leaving Anchorage to the north, a young man had grabbed some snacks and a drink and he was driving to an auto garage out in Wasilla where he was going to drop off this brand new shiny cargo truck. This thing was huge. He had picked it up at the port and stopped by his work at the big paint store on Post Road. The older guys came out and looked her up and down. The thing had to be worth two or three pickup trucks. The manager gave him the address of the shop to drop this thing off at. Over the weekend it was going to get the works. Mud flaps, decals, running boards. The works. Sure you can pay more and drive the truck off the lot. Or you can order one bare bones, see? Plus you get to choose the stuff you put on it. Well, you better get going. The older man pats him on the back. One last gut feeling. Temperature test. Don't worry, he thinks. Ethan's a fine young man. He'll get her there, damn it. Leaving Anchorage to the north. Friday night is officially starting early. He's on the clock the entire way. The mountains are beautiful and the road is stretched out before him. He's merging toward the fast lane. He sees the sign that's lit up on the way station. It hasn't been open lately. He sees a man standing out alone on the turnoff. He's not a semi. This truck is big, but the man on the road has a badge and a uniform. And as he's beginning to pass the opening of the turnoff, he's braking because he's not sure. And he sees the man's eyes spark a flame inside. The young driver, truly anxious now, looks down at the man, motioning down from the big cab. Uh, do I need to pull over? The man with the badge is nodding his head slowly. Yes, you will. He stops the truck on the highway shoulder and puts the truck in reverse, rolling back ever so slowly. He doesn't take note that there is no beeping sound. The officer sure does. He can't believe this guy. Creeping along, shooting his eyes from mirror to mirror, he makes it to the way station, pulls up on the giant steel scales. The air brakes hiss, come to a stop a little too abruptly, and rocks the giant steel slabs that are sunk into the concrete. A finely tuned, calibrated instrument. A row of tall signs leading up to them saying, in a few different ways, don't rock the scales. A few more men have come out of the hornet's nest now. They've been slightly put to ease that they almost just had a renegade semi on the loose. But he's pulled in now. He rocked the scales, however, which is kind of like a fuck you from the trucker to the scale house. They clamor over, under, all over the truck like shrimp on a whale finally having dropped down to the feast. One officer squints at him suspiciously as he moves the young man's corn nuts back and other meager possessions around with a pen. The truck is immaculate. New car smell almost overpowering. They roll up the big cargo door and let the light shine in and it is absolutely empty 
except for a small collection of materials to be installed in Wasilla on the truck. The men in the office are assembling the offenses into two different silos. On one side you have the driver. No CDL, no air brakes, certification. He's never even had a health certificate before. He's trying to just follow along, but when they go over the vehicle offenses, he sees a strange correlation. As the officers are speaking technical terms, he's able to translate almost every other word. And it's as if he's reading the estimate from the garage in Wasilla. Except every line item that the garage says will charge $95 to install, let's say, the mud flaps. The fine for each naked spinning tire slinging road shrapnel is mind-boggling. Install of mandatory stickers gross vehicle weight, operating license, contact info, install of beeping alarm, mandatory while in reverse, numerous other offenses. But when one of the guys comes in and slaps down on the counter, the empty, brand new, hazardous waste badging, you know the ones. You see them on the semi, it's black, has a number 8 on it, it says corrosive, a morbid picture of Liquid dripping on a block of steel in a person's hand, both of them sizzling and melting. That one is a big one. Think of the firefighter running up to the blaze, unknowing. In this case, they come in a bundle of four, front, back, whichever side a responder could come from. He's hearing a total of close to 10,000 in fines. Personally, to him, the company is another story. He is hot. Sweating, all the good old-fashioned yes-sirs can't help that this thing got too big too fast. How can they turn back now? So he takes a shot. A long shot. Praying that he won't break off the hornet's nest from the spindle. There was a chair that was empty in an office that afternoon. A chair that was smoothed over, polished by years of the same recline. For years, a man known as Boss Hawk would be found in this office. If you were a trucker, you knew who Boss Hogg was. Ethan asked about him by his real name, and everyone stopped talking. They turned towards him, and one man, almost sneering, asked him where he knew him from. He had the gulp at first to begin to speak, my grandmother's diner, one time he... Which diner? Judy's Cafe. Judy is my grandma. And I'll tell you this. With all the crazy nonsense going on in the world, when you walked into Judy's, you walked back in time. The old feller at the table who always gets his rye toast with breakfast. He's got a six-shooter on his hip. Leather holster. He nods good morning. Half the people in Judy's probably have an ad in the yellow pages. Plumber, welder, operator, lawyer, fisherman. And apparently, even the venerable scale steward recently passed away. Loved it as much as we all did. The best little diner I've ever seen. Apparently, we can carry the magic with us. Suddenly, the older men were lining him up on tips and sending him off as if the truck was a prom date. Don't ride the brakes now. And don't drive for what's in front of you. Always be driving for what's a mile down the road. It sure is nice to see a little of the old days once in a while. 
It seems that when we're down, we need to give it to someone. And somehow we are both healed. The stacks of papers half off the counter as the big truck lumbered away. Fresh copy ring soaking in across the new stationery they had printed up for the station. It was now, as of late, a memorial way station. The header read, Hans Roll, Memorial Glen Outbound Way Station. The church worker looked anxiously out the storefront window, imagining an angry mob jumping slightly when a car door slammed in the parking lot. A funeral for a man who stole two babies from a mother. There would be no offering for this potlatch. She focused on the killer's mother, who had lost one son to suicide as another sat next to her, and then she prepared food. I like to picture an airport bar in heaven. After hours and smoky cones of light, the angels sit and talk into the night. The airport, a constant flow of people on the other side of the darkened glass. Two toddlers are wandering amongst the shins and the shoes, lost. A man catches up as if he'd momentarily found a lucky penny and hurries to them and holds their little hand, and into the current of people they mailed away. At the funeral for Ryan Andrews, alone, they brought him in amongst his mother, his brother. The box the state provides for these type of men is almost square, not quite as long as it needs to be. His knees must be bent in there. The particle wood box is covered in a purple sparkle fabric that looks glued on. The box will eventually get covered by a black plastic mold that looks like a septic tank to keep out the water and the critters. The black lid will align with the black matching tray on which the purple box is riding into the cheapest room at the funeral. Something slips or gets stuck going over the threshold and the box barely held together sways and you hear something inside slump over and the box nearly breaks apart. One corner parts open as the attendants clasp it shut, steady it, and keep going. It only needs to last until the lid goes on. The despised? When do you arrive where you're going? Are you already there? Find us online at TC49 Podcast. See show notes for more information.